First John chapter 3, I'm going to begin in verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Father, help us today. Father, put your spirit inside of us. Give us power. Give us understanding. Give us a will to love each other really well. Father, give us a heart that will love our families as Christ has loved us. Give us a heart that will love our neighbor as Christ has loved us. Give us a heart that will love our church as Christ has loved us. Father, I pray for your help. We ask for your your power today in Jesus' name. Amen. John starts out in verse 11 saying, for this message, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, okay? That's actually not the first time he said that in this book, okay? If you remember back in chapter 2, the first time he talked about loving your brother, uh, he talked about a new commandment in verse 7 of chapter 2. He said, new I'm writing to you a new commandment, uh, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Uh, and then the commandment is that you love your brother. So John said this before, and, and his point is, I know you've already heard this. Okay, that, That's his point. I know you already heard this. I, you've heard it from the beginning. From the beginning of the gospel, from the beginning of when you became a Christian, okay, from the beginning of when you ever read the Bible, because it's all through the Bible, you know that you're supposed to love one another. You know that's a characteristic of a Christian. Is that, 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 that That's the defining mark of a believer is that we, we love one another. Okay, So John's saying, I, I know you've already heard this. I know you already know this. I know we've already talked about this. And in fact, just a little preview. We're going to talk about it again and again and again and again and again, okay? First John 4. Here's a preview of the next chapter, okay? Are you, are you ready? Uh, hopefully this doesn't deter anybody from coming, okay? First uh, John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Is John a broken record what's going on here does he not have any other topics you know does he sit down 
down as he's writing. He's like, okay, I talked about love of the brother. What else should I talk about? Well, how about love of the brother? You know, what's the deal going on over and over and over again? Well, first of all, guys, what do we believe about this book? We believe it is inspired by the Spirit of God. Do we not believe that? Do we not believe that, 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 that the Spirit of God took hold of John, and through John, he gave us exactly what we need? So why, why this machine gun hammering us with love our brother? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, it's the character of God. Okay, that, what'd you get from God? That's what you got from God, is it not? I mean, what's, what, what chapter 4 just say? God is love, okay? How has he dealt with you? He's dealt with you in love. What is, if you're a Christian here today, what did he put inside of you already? How'd you get to be a Christian? How'd you get to come to Christ? How'd you get eternal life? It's because God has reached down out of the heavens and loved you. Has he not? He has loved you in Christ, all right? So we have that love. We've already received that from God. It's who God is. And so if we're going to live that out, what God's put in us, we're going to love. Okay, the second reason I think we're getting hammered with this over and over again is because we need it. Don't we need it? You know we need it. How hard is it to live the Christian life? Well, this is, this is one of the big rocks there, isn't it? It's one of the big things in our Christian life is loving one another. And it's hard, okay? It's so hard. that You know what? They, you know what there was a movement in the Middle Ages that was both brilliant and stupid at the same time. It was stupid in the sense that it's completely against the Scriptures, but it was brilliant in this sense is that it, it makes logical sense, all right? And the movement was this. The people that wanted to be really spiritual, okay, they were, they were usually the monks, you know what they would do? They would go out in the middle of nowhere. They would go out in, in a monastery on a hill somewhere, and they would make even a vow that they weren't going to talk to anybody, all right? And they, they would make a vow of solitude and a vow of silence, all right? We... we we, we saw that in history. Now, does that not make perfect sense? I, I think it does, doesn't it? Because we all know how hard it is to live the Christian life around other people, right? I mean, it'd be really easy if there weren't all these irritating, frustrating uh, people around. I mean, that, 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 that's what makes the Christian life difficult. And so it makes perfect sense that John would hit us with this over and over and over again because it's hard to love people. We are bent the other way, aren't we? We're bent, we get irritated at people, we get frustrated at people, we, we, get, we get bitter with people, we get angry with people, we get disappointed with people, we, 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 we have trouble with unforgiveness and selfishness and indifference, and, and God knows that, and so we are hit over and over again with love your brother. Because here's the deal, it's really not an option to, to do what they did in the Middle Ages, just get away from everybody. That's not an option. I mean, the living out of our faith, we live it out through people, right? One of the ways that God changes us is through people. I was doing dishes Friday night in the joy meeting, uh, during the joy meeting, and there's two ladies that are doing dishes with us, and, and I asked them, I said, tell me, tell me when, when is, when, looking back on your Christian life, when have you most grown? What has been the most impactful thing in, in you growing to become like Jesus? I was really hoping they would be like your sermons, pastor, you know, but they didn't. What they, what they said is really what I expected them to say. They said, it's the relationships. They said, when, when, when I got into these Christ-centered relationships where I was studying the Bible with people and, and, and being accountable with people and being challenged by people and living life in relationship, man, I really opened it. And we know that. We know that we know that we live the mission of God together. We live out the Christian life together. We, we live out the Christian life in our families, in our marriages. In our, we know that people, people are how we live out our faith. And so it's not an option to just get away from everybody. 
And so we're kind of left like porcupines in Alaska, right? You know, we, 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 we huddle together for warmth, and then, man, you guys start poking me and sticking me, and i got to get away from you, but then God calls me back, and then, right? I mean, that, that's what, that's what we're, we're left with. And so John, over and over and over again, is going to press this. Love your brother. This is who you are. Now, verse 10. Remember, remember when we started 1 John, how we talked about John's a guy with no middle ground, and that's frustrating to us because we always want there to be like a third option, right? But John, it's never, it, there's never anything in the middle. You're either here or here for John, okay? And, and, and he does that again here in verse 10. This is evident who are the children of God, who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You see, we would really like for there to be a middle ground there, right? I mean, we don't think of it that way. We don't think of it, children of God, that's the people who have, who have come to faith in Christ, they've been born again, they're, they're joined to Jesus, and then is everybody else a child of the devil? I mean, that doesn't fly at Christmas time, does it? Oh, hey, Uncle Ernie, you know, I know you're not a Christian. Did you know you're a child of the devil? I mean, we, we don't talk that way. We don't, we don't say that. We like to think only the really bad people are children of the devil, and everybody else in between. If you're not a child of God, if you're not a child of the devil, what are you? Well, Maybe you're a child of NASCAR or a child of the NFL or a child of a daughter of QVC. You know, I'm a, I'm a child of the home shopping network. You know, that's what I'm all about. But the Bible gives two options, child, child of God and child of God. So e- either you're submitted to God, either you're submitted to the God of the universe and, and, and you've submitted to his truth, you're worshiping him, you're following him, you're trusting him, you're loving him, or the other option, which includes everybody else, you're doing your own thing. I know your own thing could take a lot of different forms, couldn't it? You could have good old boy religion, you know. I'm just a good person, try to, be, try to live right, try to do, you know, do, do good by people. You know, you could be, I follow this philosopher, I follow this person, I follow this prophet, I follow this whatever. But everything else is your own deal. It's, it's your own man-made religion, okay? And, and here's what John is saying. The defining how you know who the children of God are is their life is characterized by this kind of love. Now, he goes further and he, he, he gives, he doesn't say this directly, but this is the way I look at it. Okay, so you got children of God, children of the devil, and you got firstborn sons, okay? So, so you got Cain and Jesus. All right, now, let me unpack that a little bit. So notice verse 12, he starts talking about Cain. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. He, of the evil one, he's in his family, murdered his brother, okay? What's the characteristic of Cain? Cain, Cain takes life, Okay? All right, the other firstborn son is, is God's firstborn son, Jesus. Verse 16, what's his characteristic? He gives life, okay? By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Isn't that kind of cool? So you got children of God, children of the devil. You got the firstborn of God. What's he do? He lays down his life and gives life to others. What does Cain do? Cain takes life from people, okay? So you, so you got these, these two characteristics. Cain is an interesting guy in the scriptures, okay? Uh, if you don't know the story, it's in Genesis 4, let me just read the story. How about that? We got plenty. This is the third service. We can go till 2 o'clock. <laughs> Visitors are scared right now. I, I, I never do that. I just, I just always leave it out there. Adam knew his... This is Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought, to the first, brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. See where it starts? Cain was very angry, and his face fell. God's so gracious, look at this. 
And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain, you still got a chance. Cain, come to me in faith. Cain, offer the offering that I've required. Cain, submit to me. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like sin is crouching at your door, you know, ready to pounce? Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and he, when they were in the, both in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, and he killed him. Literally, he slaughtered him. He's a murderer. Okay, but one of the things that's interesting about Cain is he's a religious guy. You ever thought about that? Cain's not an atheist, okay? Cain's a religious guy. But see, the difference between Cain and Abel, Abel's like, God, what do you require? How do I worship? How do I come to you? I'm, I'm listening. I'm trusting, okay? And, and, and God revealed, you know, I think God revealed to both of them, actually. It's through a blood sacrifice. Why? Because what, what, what are they looking forward to? Jesus offering his blood. That's, that's the only way anybody is connected with God. Okay, what does Cain do? Cain's like, I'm going to get to God my own way. I'll offer to God what, what I produce, what I do. Cain is, Cain is the father of man-made religion. Here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing is, man-made religion leads to people who hate. You don't believe me? Turn on your television set. Those guys that walked into the, the newspaper office in Paris, were they atheists? Absolutely not. When they're murdering people, what are they yelling? Allah is great. Right? Right? They're avenging their God. I'm so glad we don't have a God that we have to protect. <laughs> Man, Jesus can handle himself, you know? I don't, I don't got to avenge him. Okay, but, but do you see what I'm saying? They're religious. They're, I mean, we'll talk about Paul here in a minute. Before Paul became a Christian, he was a religious guy. I mean, man, works, good deeds. And man, anybody who disagreed with him, he hated. So, the characteristic of the children of God is that they love. The characteristic of the children of the devil is that they murder. Now, when we say murder, we all take a big sigh of relief, right? Okay, verse 12. We should be like Cain, who, we should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one and murdered his brother. And we all go, whew, I'm not a murderer, right? I mean, we're all like, yes, yeah, I got that under, uh, on my side, check that off. I've never killed anybody. Well, hold on before you go any further. Verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I said, whoa, it's not, it's not just the act of actually pulling the trigger, not just the act of plunging the knife, but, but the Bible says it is the act of hatred in the heart. Okay, now, now what's hatred? Well, hatred is a strong aversion to, this, these are all definitions, to detest, to have ill will toward. This is my favorite one. I got this out of a Greek uh, uh, lexicon. To kill in the heart, okay? To kill in the heart. Hatred, hatred is to... To, to wish malice towards someone, to, have one, someone not, to, to want them out of your life, to want them to have nothing to do with them, okay? Hatred is murder in the heart. And, and really, when you think about it, hatred is murder that just lacks either opportunity or courage or for some other reason. You don't murder. 
we've done this at Lincoln Avenue before. We, we've said, okay, if we put a line up here on the stage and this is you pull the trigger, you kill somebody, you take a life, okay, is, is this the only thing that's murder? Well, no. The Bible says that you, you, don't, you don't start there, right? You start over here where you get hurt or you, or, or you get offended or, or you get jealous or you want something and you can't get it and you're angry, okay? You're angry and you nurse that anger. You nurse that anger and you hold that anger and you fuel that anger and that anger turns into bitterness and it turns into malice and it turns into to unforgiveness and it turns into all these other things and, and, and that leads to murder. Okay, now, now, however, I don't want you to look at it as, well, my hatred is, is it's just right here at the beginning, you know. I, I only let it go a little ways and so it's really a long ways from murder. I, I'm, I'm not sure we can say that with hatred. Let me ask you this question. Would, would it be true to say that the guy who murders has a lot more hatred than maybe the guy who doesn't murder? I, I don't think that's the case. I know these don't exist, but it'd be kind of cool if they had, you know, like they put that little pulse ox on your finger to, to measure the oxygen in your blood. What if they had one of those that measured the hatred in your life? Okay, so you got a little, little hatred ox. I don't know. We'll put it on it. Anyway, put it on your finger and it measures how much hate is in your heart. Let me ask you a question. Would it just be the guy that murdered that would be maxed out on that? I, I don't think so. What about the guy who has hated somebody for 20 years? You're saying, man, who's that guy? I don't know, but there's a lot of them, okay? If you, if you go to enough funerals, if you hang around funerals, you're going to see this. I cannot tell you how many times I've done a funeral and, and the family comes to me like, oh, Pastor Jason, we don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, Uncle Bob, he hasn't talked to Aunt you know, Sue in 29 years, you know. They had this battle and, man, they're at odds and they, they may both come to the funeral, you know, and if they do come, you're going to get in the middle. I'm not, I'm not getting in the middle of that. I'm going to preach my sermon. This is you all's deal, man. 29 years, you ought to figure this out by now, okay? 20, 29 years, they've not spoken to each other. Put, put, the, put the hatred meter on there. Where's it peg out? Okay, let me give you another scenario. What about this guy? What about this guy who's disillusioned with life? He just had bro, you know, fallen, broken relationships, disaster after disaster. He's confused. He's scared. He walks into a liquor store to get some money. He's going to rob the place. The guy reaches out and pulls out a gun. He kills him. Where's that guy's hate at? I don't know. Now, I'm, I'm agreeing. That guy's got hate, okay? I mean, you don't get into that position without having all kinds of hate against the world and your parents and society and everybody, okay? But I, I wonder, is that guy's hate a whole lot of difference from the guy who's held a grudge for 29 years? Again, we don't have the meter, so I can't tell you. Someone invent that, and we'll figure that out, okay? But, but what I'm telling you, the Bible is telling is that hatred is murder. You need to hear it from Jesus? Okay. Matthew 5, 21. Here we go. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to the judgment. Now, we're all on board with that, right? Yeah, if you kill somebody, if you take a life, then you're, you're liable to the judgment. Okay? Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. If you nurse your anger, now, I don't believe it's talking about someone who's, who has a flash of anger and quickly reconciles. The reason I don't is because Ephesians 4 says, Be angry and do not sin. Don't sin in your anger. 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's what Ephesians 4 says, right? But, but he's talking about the person who nurses his anger, holds that grudge, okay? Who'll be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brothers, you take the next step and you begin to cut down, slice down the person with your words, will be liable to the council, the Supreme Court, if you will. And whoever says, you fool. You fool, what's that? Literally, you're worthless. I got no use for you. I don't ever want you in my life. I mean, you're just, you're just a piece of trash. We'll be liable to the hell of fire. Christians don't hate. They don't live in hate. They don't. Pastor, you don't know what they did to me. I don't. I do know it's not more than what you did to Jesus. Really, hatred is the opposite of love. Think about this, okay? Think about this. Okay, it's the opposite of love in that love says, I will lay down my privileges to meet your needs. Hatred says, I will ignore your needs in pursuit of my own privileges. When you don't have Jesus, when you've not experienced his love, man, this is where the wheels begin to fall. Notice verse 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. I, can't, I hate to keep coming back to this, but look around our world, <laughs> you know? I mean, when you see people without Jesus, cultures without Jesus, religions without Jesus, nations without Jesus, what do you see? You, you see this to the nth degree, okay? Now, now look at what verse 15 says. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, I want to be careful here because I, 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 want, I want to make sure we understand this rightly. Is that saying that if you've ever murdered, you can't ever have eternal life? If, if, you, if you murder, you know, there's no way to be saved. I don't think he's saying that. You know why? Pa- Paul, okay, Paul. Who, who is Paul? Paul is a religious guy. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he's a Jewish man in, in the New Testament who did everything right according to man's rules, right? Always at church, always doing all the good deeds, always a Jew of Jew. I mean, I mean, just everything right, but hatred in his heart. So self-righteous, so I'm up here and everybody else is down here. And that led to such hostility that he couldn't stand it when people disagreed. And he, he actually killed them. What happens to Paul? He's riding Damascus Road, going to go arrest some folks, throw them in jail for being Christians. Jesus knocks him off his donkey, blinds him. And for the first time, he sees the glory of Jesus. He sees who Jesus is. And he is transformed. And you know what that man becomes? Not a man who takes life, but a man who gives his life for others. Listen to, this is one of my favorite verses about Paul, Philippians 2.17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. I love that verse because Paul is literally saying, I am so happy to be able to pour out my strength, pour out my vitality, pour out my life, pour out my time on you to build up your faith in Christ. Man, I, I rejoice to give my life away. You see, before... He's taken life. Now he's, he's literally given his life away for the blessing of others. 
David's another interesting case study. Moses would be an interesting case study. David's an interesting case study in that, that really his life for the most part is characterized by, by love. I mean, some of the greatest stories of grace are in the, in the, in the life of David. You know, Mephibosheth, uh, Shimei. Remember that guy throwing rocks at David's head? Abishai's like, let me go up there and finish that guy off. I can make two out of one guy there, you know. We'll put him in two pieces. And, and, and David's like, no, no, no. Let him curse. Let him throw rocks. God will see it. God will take care of it. Remember Saul? I mean, literally kills people that David loves. Okay? People in David's family. Saul's murdering them. Hunting him down for decades. When David has a chance to take revenge, he will not do it. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to leave it to God. But David falls into an adulterous relationship. David's far from God. David's trying to cover his tracks. He's trying to cover his tracks. He's justifying. He's got to get rid of this guy. So can't you see his wheels turning? I'm not going to murder him. I'm just going to put him on the front lines, put him in the hardest part of the battle where the fiercest men are, and then tell everybody, hey, why don't you let Uriah fight by himself for a while, you know? God says, you're not fooling anybody, David. You got murder in your heart. You didn't pull the trigger, but that's what you wanted. You wanted him gone. David repents. David turns back to God. David suffers a lifetime of consequences for that, but David was forgiven. So, I don't think verse 15 is saying, if you've ever murdered, you can't become a Christian. It's not saying that. What it's saying is, when you have murder in your heart, that is inconsistent with having eternal life in your heart. Okay? He said you can't live habitually. Remember, remember, remember when we were in 1 John last time, verse 9? No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Believers don't continue in sin. No, the Spirit of God convicts them. They repent. Let me tell you this. You can't continue in hatred. Okay? If you're a believer here today, you can't be the, I'm mad at Aunt Gertrude for 29 years. You can't be that person. Not be a believer. You can't have both those things in you. You can't hate. Why? It's a good question, right? You asking it? Why can't I? Why can't I? I've been done wrong. Man, we make a great case for that, don't we? We should all be lawyers, you know? I mean, really. I mean, when you've been done wrong, you can make an incredible... I mean, aren't you impressed with yourself sometimes? You should video it, you know? I mean, just what an incredible case you can make for how you've suffered so greatly, you know, and been done so horrible. And all of this on... Oh, man, we're good at that. We're... Matlock, Ben Matlock, right here, man. We can, we can convince ourselves for sure, right? So why can't I continue to hate? Well, because that's not what's been put in you. Verse 16. By this we know love. We know it. We know it. We know it. Okay? Here's, here's a Christian. A Christian is a person who knows the love of God. We, we know what love is, okay? The world's confused about love. Okay, you're going to get all kinds of answers to what is love from the world, right? Everything from it's, it's good feelings about something to it's selfishly wanting something real bad. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We've been taught the love of God. We've experienced the love of God. 
in that we had a desperate need and Jesus came. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't merit, merit it. And Jesus came and laid down his life for us and met our deepest need in the gospel. That, that's what this is saying. I, I love verses like 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know, you know the grace of God. John's telling us, you know the love of God. Here, here he said, Paul says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus emptied himself out for your benefit. We've experienced that. We know that. We're, we're, as Christians, we are people who know the love of God. We know it through the gospel. And, and, and so John is saying here, we, this has been put into us. And then he says, verse 16, we ought, because it's been put into us, we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. Right? Now be careful. Be careful. It's easy to say, it's easy to say, well, would I lay my life down for my wife? All the guys in the room, what do we say? You betcha. Macho. Let's say it macho. You betcha, right? I would die, jump in front of the bullet, you know. Speeding bus is coming. Emma's right in the middle. Ah, you know, I'd push her out of the way, get hit by the bus, you know. We'd all do it, right? Would you lay your, would you lay your life down for your kids? Yeah, you bet I would. Would you lay your life down for your, your small group? Yeah, you bet I, I would do it. Would you lay your life down for your church? Which ones? Who? No, I would, right? We'd do it. We'd do it. Well, here, here's the thing that John knows. You're probably never going to be put in that situation, right? You know, I'm 42 years old. I've been married to Emma for, it'll be 24 years coming this August. She's never about got hit by a bus in all that time, you know? All that whole time, never got hit by a bus. Nobody's ever pulled a gun. And I, I got to jump in front of the bullet. I've been waiting for it every time we go to a, a Denny's or something. I'm waiting for the guy to come in, you know. And I don't pack heat like you guys. You guys just gun them down. All I got is I'm going to jump in front of the bullet, you know. And I keep waiting, you know. I, I always order something that's eat, quick to eat so I can eat and get ready, you know. And it never happens, you know. I, I've never been called on for my kids, my wife. My church, not once have I been called on that what they need is for me to actually give my life. That's never happened. But my wife has needs. She has things that she needs from me. She has times of struggle and discouragement. She has times where she needs help. My kids have needs. My small group has needs. My church has needs. Well, now's where the rubber meets the road, right? Verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods, in other words, if you've, got, if you've got the ability and opportunity and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart, how does God's love abide in him? Do, do you see John's point there? If we all say, I mean, how, how silly is it for me to say, Addie, Haddon, Hannah, my kids, guys, man, I'll lay down my life for you. And they're like, oh, Dad, thanks. Well, Dad, what I really need is help on my science project. Go talk to your mom. <laughs> well, Dad, what I really need is for you to spend some time with me. Well, Dad, what I really need is for you to teach me the Bible. Dad, what I really need is, is, to, is for you to spend time at night, you know, investing in me and speaking truth. No, 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 no. Go, you know, go talk to you. You're fine. Maybe later. I'm busy. I got to go do stuff. What? 
If I won't do that, if I won't help with the science project, that's down here, isn't it? But I'm saying, well, but I, I'll, get, I'll, I'll jump in front of the bus. See, John, John knows we think that way. And so verse 17, he just drives us home practically. And basically what he's saying is, if you won't help in the small things, if you won't love your brother, what, what's your brother really need? What's your church folks need? What do your small group need? What, what does your family need? Well, it's probably things like friendship, right? Comfort, forgiveness, food, clothing, shelter, encouragement, counsel, a pickup truck. Sometimes people like us, they don't have a pickup. That's what we need, you know? We need a pickup truck, a strong back, accountability, a rebuke, a listening ear, grace. If we're not willing to give that stuff, if we're not willing to love our brother in practical, tangible, today ways, it's kind of silly to be bragging about how we'd give our life, isn't it? Folks, to say that you'd lay down your life for your brother, but you don't even know their name, you don't know their needs. You've never hung around long enough to actually figure out who they are. That's probably not loving your brother. Verse 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart. It's an interesting metaphor, isn't it? It means to shut down your feelings. Shut down your, your, your emotions. Feel nothing for them. Everybody I read, it's interesting, I don't know why, everybody I read uses the same word for verse 17. Indifference. Indifference. Now, you see, here, here's what we like to think. We like to think, well, is, I, I heard people say this, I don't hate anybody. I don't, I don't hate anybody. And what they mean by that is, well, man, I don't, I don't wish anybody would die. Okay, but I think what John's pointing out is, there's people all around you that have needs and you've shut down your life to say, I ain't going to mess with all you guys. Y'all go take care of yourself. How's the love of God live in you? Man, what if Jesus would have done that? What if Jesus would have saw us in our sin? Oh, you guys are, are separated from God. You're under the judgment of God. You're about to go into the wrath of God forever, into the hell of fire forever. Oh, I feel for you and I don't hate you. But I, I'm, I don't really have anything to do with you either. That's not what he did. I ran this by a couple of folks this weekend, this verse in particular. And you know what came up, right? Pastor, how do we help everybody? I mean, is this really realistic, you know? Well, I, I would just say this. I would say this. I would say, first of all, we don't have opportunity to help. I don't know everybody, you know. I don't know everybody in the world. I don't know every Christian in the world. I, I don't know hardly, you know, just a small fraction, okay. And, and, and is, there, is there a principle of wisdom and good stewardship in helping people? Yeah, sure. Sure there is. What, what I find is there's two, two groups of people in, in this, this spectrum, okay. You got one group of people that's like, well, we should help everybody, you know, and, I, and I'll, I'll try to help everybody. But what, I, what they really mean is I'm not going to get real involved in anybody's life. I'm just going to do the bare minimum to make myself feel good, you know, right? Isn't it, some of you guys, I know you never help people alongside the road, but it, isn't it easy, the guy that's got the sign, you know, 
Isn't it easy? You know, you don't even have to slow down to about what, 20, you know, and stick the $1 bill out the, out the window, you know. God bless you. You know, there we go around the corner. Then you're like, boy, I helped, you know. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just, you ought to slow down. You're going to break his arm, you know. But then you got this spectrum over here, okay. And this guy over here, you know what he says? He says, I'll help anybody as long as they deserve it, as long as they work hard, as long as they won't squander it, and as long as they haven't made bad choices that got them into this predicament. Okay? You know, you know what they're saying? They're saying, I'm going to help Jesus. I'm going to take all my resources to heaven, you know, because he's the only one that fits that category, okay? Uh, he is. Who's not made bad choices in here? And, man, if you're thinking you want to raise your hand, dude, I'm telling you, you do not see yourself, okay? Who, who's always done it all right? Listen, you know what Paul said about you? He said, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you got that God didn't give you? Nothing. Nothing. So, should we use wisdom? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of times where actually what people need is is your time and your spiritual investment. And sometimes what they need is a hard word, okay? But, but we need to care about people. I'm not saying you always get out your wallet. I mean, sometimes that's the bad thing, you know? If, if, if the person is spiraling down and, and they're wanting that to spiral down more, well, no, don't give it to them. But they still need you. They need your prayer. They need your time. They need your investment. They need your care. This should be in us. Man, I hope you get that point. We're, we're, we're out of time, so. But, but do you see that? Verse 16, by this we know love. We, we Christians, we know it. Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives. This should be in us. It should be in us to the point that we live this out. And Christians, when, when we have those moments that we don't, we repent quick, don't we? We repent. We bounce, remember, we bounce, we repent, we turn back, we make it right. And we don't stay there. We don't stay on this line, okay? We don't stay on this line. We may get a foot on it and start to walk, and the Holy Spirit ought to knock us back off that line because that's not who we are. That's not what's been given to us. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm completely convinced that we need great help in this area. God, we need help being people who love like Jesus loved. Father, I I pray that you would teach us how much you've loved us. God, all the grace and mercy that we've received. God, we need to know that. I don't think we can. We can't do this, God, unless we're we're completely convinced of, of your love for us. And Father, help us to be wise in how we love others. God, help us to to be willing to pour ourselves out, to pour out our time, to pour out our our effort, our energy, our strength, our our money, our resources, God, in order to to really love people well. Father, we know that you'll help us. We know that you've commanded this and that you're going to give grace and strength to us. God, I pray, Lord, make our church a light to our community. I pray that they would know that we're Christians by the way that we love each other. In Jesus' name.